I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The moment you dream about as a kid growing up trying to play in the NHL, and he scores! Cole Bartrow takes center stage, a penalty shot goal! Islanders country, hello, this is P.T. Isles, the Unbeat 10 edition. I'm Oz Boggs, Joe Bono. A reminder to subscribe to this show and every podcast from Lighthouse Hockey on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at LHH Podcasts. You get Isles Buzz, Islanders Anxiety, and more Lighthouse Hockey, SB Nation's home for your New York Islanders coverage. Our guest tonight is the radio color analyst for the Islanders alongside Chris King on ESPN Radio and WRHU. That's Greg Picker, and he joins us now. Greg, first time on our show. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you uh, for having me. Really appreciate the invite, and uh, good time to talk Isles Hockey these days. (laughs) <laughs> a real good time. We'll get into that. But first, I wanted to get into your path uh, to the Islanders radio booth, because I think there's an assumption that you worked at Hofstra Radio and uh, found your way into the radio booth. But that's not that's not your story. right? <laughs> no, I uh, you know, I still go uh, to rinks, obviously, around the NHL and, and meet engineers and whatnot. And they say, oh, like, what what year are you at Hofstra or something like that? And I say, I don't know. I was never actually a student at Hofstra. Uh, <laughs> I interned a, a number of times over the summers in the Islanders PR department um, when I was actually a student at Boston University where I was a, a broadcast journalism major, called the hockey teams for all four years there, a couple of years, called the women's team, got to go to and call a national championship game that, that the BU women's team actually played in my sophomore year. 
uh, junior, senior year, I was more involved on, on the men's side. Not the best years of BU men's hockey. They only made the tournament actually one out of my four years there. And I actually got the BU a year after they won the national championship in 2009. So I just missed out. A lot of big-name NHL players were actually on that team in 2009. Some carryover that I saw in uh, 2010. But, yeah, I was, it was in the PR department for a number of years and as an intern. And then when I finished up school, uh, got the opportunity to work again in the PR department, more so on the broadcast side in terms of Islanders TV, while also doing a lot behind the scenes and just assisting the PR department any sort of way possible. That parlayed into running the social media accounts for a couple of years, while also at the same time working about half the road games on the Hofstra broadcast. So the Hofstra students still did all the home games and really the local road games working with Kinger. And I was lucky enough to, to get onto roughly 20 games a year for uh, 2013, that lockout shortened season, and then the last two years of the Coliseum. And then with the move to Brooklyn, the opportunity afforded itself, and they asked me to, uh, to join Kinger for all 82 games. And that's where I've been ever since, and it's been a heck of a ride. So that's a role, obviously, Kinger held as well uh, prior to him moving over to the play-by-play side. And obviously, you have a play-by-play background uh, stemming from your time at Boston University calling hockey games. Um, as someone who you can't find on Hockey Reference, if you look up Craig Picker, you can't find your hockey statistics. Um, how do you approach your role as the color analyst? I think one thing that sets maybe myself apart than somebody who was on the ice, like a butch who played for the team for a number of years, um, I'm not quite at Eric Hornick level, but I do consider myself a bit of an Islander <laughs> historian. You know, I wasn't around for the dynasty days, but if you stack up my knowledge against anybody else, probably post 2000, um, I think maybe only Eric Hornick or Chris King could uh, outdo me in terms of Islander history. So that's just one thing that I think I bring to the table. I mean, I've been around the game, obviously a long time, even if I didn't play at, at that type of level. Um, I'm lucky enough to get to know Butch Gorn so well. I lean on him a lot. I'm always asking him questions. Um, obviously, we're around the, the current team in the locker room discussing things with guys. There are certain players that, you know, they you know even if you weren't a former NHL player, you can still ask them anything, and it helps you on the broadcast to get to know inside their mind. And, you know, I'm not the only guy around the league that wasn't a former player. Sherry Ross did a tremendous job on Devils Radio for many years for background was as a, a reporter rather than obviously a player in the NHL. So um, leaning on different people and also bringing that historical aspect and just having a, a great memory of Islanders hockey uh, really helps me out on the broadcast. So you, did you grow up on Long Island and uh, grew up yeah. an Islanders fan? Okay. I did. I did. I mean, attending 20 plus games a year from uh, the time I was very young. Wow. Family still at the games? Paying, paying yeah. prices for tickets. <laughs> not, not quite, not quite uh, at the level they were when I was younger, but uh, family does still attend some games. My brother's down in Florida, so every time we play the Lightning, uh, he's at the game in Tampa Bay. Very cool. Well, let's get to this team. Ten-game winning streak, and you know, about two weeks ago they had a four-game winning streak, and that four games was the shootout win against Florida, the comeback uh, miracle victory against the St. Louis Blues, an overtime win in Columbus, and it was four games in a row. But you know, it didn't seem like they were playing their best hockey. These last six games, they're winning and they're playing Islander hockey and doing it despite some injuries to some key players. I mean, this is probably the best stretch in quite some time. Obviously, 10-game winning streak, the second longest 
in franchise history. Uh, just what are your what are you seeing that's clicking right now for this team on all cylinders? Well, you look at from the ten games, only once has the team given up more than two goals in a game, and that third goal by the Flyers in the five three win on the twenty seventh was sort of a garbage time goal. That third goal came late in the game, but you mentioned that St. Louis game, the miracle comeback, and I remember after the game of the postgame show saying maybe this can be that type of effort that galvanizes the team and, and sets it forth on a run. I don't think many people predicted a 10-game streak, eight games after that St. Louis win, but you definitely had the feeling that with the way that game went and ended, maybe there was something there. It had been a tough start going one and three, giving up five goals to the Oilers, giving up five goals in Carolina in the rematch after the second round last year, and something just wasn't there that we saw the majority of last year. But remember, last year, the first month or so of the season, the team was getting its feet underneath itself and getting used to Barry Trotz's system. And it took maybe until mid-November, early December, until we really saw the Islanders that propelled themselves to the fifth-place finish in the regular season across the NHL. This time, maybe it really only took five, six, seven games, again, even if they were winning a few early on in that streak where they weren't playing in this streak, I should say, where they weren't playing full 60-minute contests like they are now. Um, it took a little bit of time, and here we are a few weeks later, and we are at a 10-game winning streak for just the second time in franchise history. And there's a number of remarkable stats around this because not everyone shouts out that this is a team that should be on this type of winning streak. Their face-off percentage is, is well below 50% during it. Obviously, the injuries that, that have occurred to this team, down Matt Martin, down Jordan Everly. And um, Arthur Staple in The Athletic this week you know, went out and, and kind of surveyed a lot of um, people that uh, dive deep into the advanced analytics when it comes to hockey and, and how the Islanders kind of defy you know, the charts and graphs crowd. Um, and you see that this is starting to become a bit of a theme where even the players start to not resent it perhaps, but, you know, listen, you can continue to doubt us, but we're going to continue doing our thing. You know, so what, what do you see from the Islanders, specifically the way they play in this Barry Trotz structure that does defy those, those analytics, that they don't need to have the, most, the highest Corsi and the most danger shots per game um, in order to be successful? And this goes back to his Washington Capitol days. You look at the advanced statistics when he was behind the bench in D.C., and they weren't great. Yet, what did he do? He won a Stanley Cup in a separate year than he won two President's Trophies. So they were always towards the bottom of the league and shots for, but it's about limiting the grade A scoring opportunities. If you have to give up a few extra shots from the outside and you're not the Carolina Hurricane style the past few years that we've seen where it's just throw shots from everywhere, real freewheeling style in the offensive zone where you almost don't even have positions. Everybody, and that really worked for them last year. Obviously, it got them to the Eastern Conference Final. On the outer side, everybody knows where to be at all times. I mean, you could probably count on one hand how many odd man rushes we've seen against this year. How often have we seen two on one rushes? It never happens anymore when the Islanders are on the ice toward the opposition. Obviously, the Islanders are getting those type of looks. We saw that shorthanded goal last night came on a two-on-one rush. So it's just that Barry Trot system where everybody isn't just buying in to what he's preaching. They're showing it on the ice by always being in the right position at every single moment. And that's why the team doesn't give up almost every single night more than one or two goals per game. 
Greg Picker, Islanders radio color commentator, is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter, at Greg Picker here. And um, obviously the Islanders went, uh, you know, quote, big game hunting during the offseason. Uh, the well-reported $12.5 million AAV contract for Artemi Panarin decides to uh, go to the New York Rangers instead. And, you know, the, a lot of apprehension in Islanders country in terms of would this team be able to score has obviously not been a problem during the streak. And, and among the biggest reasons is the play of Mark, Matt Barzell and, and, and the fact that they emphasized the idea that he was going to need to shoot more. But it is an obvious change from last year where he was still trying to maybe figure out how to be that two-way player. He has that and now has unleashed a different part of his offensive game that maybe we didn't even see during his rookie Calder Trophy winning season. And he even changed his stick a little bit as the coaching staff said, you know, we want, we know you're absolutely tremendously talented with the puck and you're always looking to make that pass first. But to be more of a dual or triple threat, you have to be able to, to look to shoot the puck. And it starts really with that goal in Winnipeg. And there were some joking people saying, oh, it looked like Alex Ovechkin out there on the left faceoff dot. And maybe it didn't have quite the same power that we see Ovi, but it was still in that same spot, the one-timer, the right-handed shot from the left side. And that's what got him going on the goal-scoring front. And now the last two games, he doesn't have a single point, but it's not as if he's looked out of place at all. It's just Barzy doing his thing on the top line. Every time he's out there, it seems like there's a chance for something in the offensive zone. And even if him in that top line doesn't score, it sometimes wears out the defense and someone else might come up. Obviously, Derek Broussard, you just had the five-game goal-scoring streak come to an end. But everybody's stepping up in a different role. Cole Barjo, what a story. That's been finally gets his first goal in the National Hockey League. Seventh player ever with a penalty shot goal as his first goal. Ross Johnston stepping up. It's just been across the line of names that aren't just the Matt Barzells and the Anders Lee that have propelled this team to the 10-game winning streak so far. Yeah, on that Cole Barjo uh, penalty shot goal you tweeted out first time the Islanders have ever scored two penalty shot goals against the same opponent in the same season so uh, I'm sure Eric Hornick was very proud maybe you found <laughs> that one on your own uh, <laughs> I, I often the find things Denver on my Senators. own and then text Eric and say hey is this is this seem right to you it almost seems too amazing to be true so there is some uh, verification with Eric we're always texting as I'm uh, looking <laughs> for some extra nuggets and uh, I you know I looked at that last night and I said, okay, uh, Clutterbuck, Zizekas, and Barjo score, and all of them scored their first goal of the season. The Islanders uh, had the 3-1 lead before getting uh, the insurance goal there as well uh, to make it to make it 4-1. Um, and yeah, it seems like right now it's a different bit of a hero every single night. Obviously, Brock Nelson had his strong Brocktober, uh, which has become come tradition. You mentioned um, obviously Anders Lee has has poured in some big goals. Uh, what happens to this roster as people get healthy? Uh, Leo Komarov battling illness and uh, a neck injury at the moment. He's been out six, seven games, and obviously Jordan Everly working his way back. What do you think happens roster-wise when these guys uh, get back into the lineup? And, and does that mean Derek Broussard moves back into a center role, or does he uh, remain on the wing where he's had some success? It's really hard to see Derek Broussard moving back to center just considering how strong he has looked at wing and Obviously, the run of the five straight goals coincided with the first game that he moved over to wing. It's a challenge. You know, you, there's nobody you want to take out of the lineup right now. And there are guys that have 
once they get healthy, I mean, Jordan Everly obviously is going to come back into the lineup when he's healthy. So that's the challenge of the coaching staff. I honestly can't really answer what, what the coaching staff will do. I mean, Cole Barjo, obviously nobody necessarily pegged him to be a pivotal player at this point of the season, but he's giving it 110% every single shift that he's out there, not taking a single second of this for granted. Will he play every game the rest of the way? Probably not, barring some crazy injuries elsewhere that add up. But it's tough to take anybody out right now, and that's why the coaching staff, which obviously led by the Jack Adams winner last year, will uh, put its its role to the test and see what they uh, come up with here as some more guys get healthy coming forward. And Barjo's getting scoring opportunities every game, not just a matter of his effort, but uh, he could have had two or three goals uh, at this point as well with some of the chances he had had hit the post earlier um, in the game. Um, you talk about the coaching staff, Greg, and so much of the focus is on Barry Trotz, but you know, being around the team as much as you have been, uh, you see a lot of people in the national NHL media now starting to give credit, and they've always had, but it's, again, I think, emphasized once again now the Islanders are backing up what they did last year to the goaltending coach Pierre Greco and Mitch Korn and what they do. Um, what do, what does this team do in terms of coaching the goaltending that delivers this type of results that maybe is is, is unique to an organization um, that Barry Trotz has been able to bring with him um, from place to place? You go back a year ago, and it wasn't obviously just Barry Trotz that joined the staff, but all the new members of the coaching staff were coming off championships. You had Barry Trotz, Lane Lambert, and Mitch Korn coming off the Stanley Cup with the Washington Capitals. You had Piero Greco, who was a goaltending coach for the Toronto Marlies, who had won a Calder Cup in the American Hockey League. And John Gruden joined the coaching staff. He was coming off an OHL title with the Hamilton Bulldogs. So it's not just Barry. There are winners behind the bench in every facet here with the Islanders. And obviously they bring that experience and respect level that comes with all those championships that have won, been won even recently. And obviously it just translates itself no matter where it is in the lineup. I mean, you go back to opening night this year when obviously they announced not just the players, but all the coaches. What an applause by the fans when Mitch Korn and Piero Greco were announced. Where else are you going to hear that, that the fans are cheering basically as loud, if not louder, for the goaltending coaches as they are for half the players. That's certainly true. And then Lane Lambert, Islanders get a little lucky. A lot of people thought he was going to be pegged uh, for the Anaheim job, and, and he's right there as well. Maybe next year he gets that gets that opportunity, but uh, he's another stalwart next to Barry Trotz as well. What is, what is he and, and what is Jim Hiller now on the power play kind of add to this team as well from a coaching standpoint? It's unfortunate we haven't seen more of the power play with the few power play opportunities that the the Islanders have had this year, but obviously a decent amount of success early on for the Isles on the man advantage and go back Lane Lambert. Yeah, it did seem like he was a a finalist for that Anaheim job, but Dallas Aikens had done such a strong job in the AHL with the Ducks affiliate in San Diego. So uh, he kind of had the inside track there, but I'm sure the, Coaching staff outside of, of Lane was sweating a little bit, saying we really want this guy back. Him and Barry have had such a long history, even dating back to the Nashville days. So, obviously, good to see him back behind the bench for the Islanders' perspective. On a personal note, obviously, he's the type of guy that I'm sure they want to see get that head coaching opportunity if it presents itself to him someday. But for another year, Islanders are certainly happy to have him uh, another voice behind the bench. More of our interview with Greg Picker in a moment. You're listening to P.T. Isles. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, 
This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Craig Picker, Islanders Radio, is our guest, PTIL's podcast. I want to bring our attention to some of the younger players. Obviously, Oliver Wallstrom still up with the team. Uh, maybe at this point, people thought he'd be back down to Bridgeport, but because of the injuries and the illnesses, he's still around, uh, getting into the lineup occasionally, although not playing heavy minutes. But Noah Dobson now with Nick Letty missing a couple of games. He's part of that top six, and he'll have an opportunity against Sidney Crosby and company, perhaps. Uh, we'll see how often he's on the ice at the same time on Thursday night. Uh, what have been your impressions of Noah Dobson uh, so far this season? You know what, for Noah, he's a right-handed shot, and he's playing the left side with Johnny Boychuk. He does have experience with that in his junior days. Not a ton. I believe he played about half the season last year on the left side, but that's still a challenge when you're trying to get used to the NHL speed and you're on your offside trying to use the backhand a little bit more than you would necessarily like to make things a little bit easier. But he's obviously just seemed more and more comfortable every game. You know, there was that one game where he was essentially seventh defenseman, so – uh, up in Ottawa, that was the, the wild game, the win in Ottawa, where uh, it helped him ease a little bit more in. But for him now, paired with Johnny Boychuk, with Nick Letty out, it's just an extra challenge being on the offside. And he's obviously been tremendous, had another assist last night. He had that assist in his first game, but head up, moved the puck towards the net, saw Josh Baylor there. I'm sure he was hoping for deflection and worked out. And the Islanders had that put-away goal to go up 4-1. Michael Dahl Cole is the other player I wanted to bring up because last year, you know, it was a surprise season, I think, for a lot of Islander fans that maybe had um, discounted him and thought maybe he's going to be, a, you know, an AHL-level player. And, and obviously he was the fifth pick in the draft and high expectations. He might never end up uh, becoming a player that um, justifies the fifth pick overall. But in terms of a role player, he seems to be someone now that the coaching staff can count on and kind of move him around on different lines and know that they're going to get a – responsible two-way effort from Michael Dalcole. He's not going to perhaps uh, score two, three goals um, a night, but when the opportunity presents himself, he does obviously have offensive skill. It, it's been really interesting to see how they've been uh, have confidence in kind of putting him with different players regardless because he, he's, he's responsible, it seems like, in his own end. Yeah, right now, obviously playing with Casey Suzekis and Cal Arbuck, and you'll see him throw that body around it. The Islanders obviously like to play the, the trip and chase pretty frequently, throw it into the corners, and Dal Cole uses that big body to win putts back. Him, Sezikis, and Clutterback can go to work on the cycle, but really it's the work that he does using his big frame to throw the hits on defensemen trying to win the puck back after the Islanders dump it in. That has helped corral the puck free, and it works out for the Owls continuing in the offensive zone. So Dal Cole, although he only has the two points so far this year, a goal and an assist, it's not all about on the score sheet for him. And like you said, in the defensive zone, and it's been working out pretty well for Dal Cole. want to turn our attention to the goaltending. I think, obviously, the Islanders make the move from Robin Leonard to Simeon Valarmov, uh, Varlamov during the offseason, and so far that's worked out just fine with the way the goaltenders have uh, performed. The Islanders, once again, have allowed the fewest goals in the NHL. But I want to talk about Thomas Grice because he's on the final year of his three-year contract. Um, a lot of Islander fans made the assumption that uh, Ilya Sorokin will come over from Russia uh, next year to be 
paired with Varlamov. And then the Islanders would obviously let uh, Thomas Grice go as a free agent. But if you look at what he did last year and what he's doing this year, I mean, a couple of years ago, Greg, I mean, he looked, I mean, he looked bad in net, uh, quite frankly, right? Three and a half goals against average. I mean, listen, the Islanders were not a very weak defensive team that final year under Doug Wade. But the way he's turned things around, I mean, he's a he's a one A quality goaltender and. You know, it's someone that now that I'm looking ahead at next year is, you know, you might be hesitant about letting him go and letting him walk off to somewhere else. Well, that will be for Lou Lamorello and the management staff to decide how they want to move forward with the goaltending situation. But, yeah, right now, 6-1-0 record, 2.00 goals against average, 9-3-7 save percentage. Won that William Jennings Trophy along with Robin Leonard last year. Just tremendous work done by the, the goaltending coaches that have come in and Mitch Korn, Piero Greco get at work with Thomas, who certainly is a veteran, 11 years now in the National Hockey League, but still able to tweak some things and make Thomas just seem so calm. And he's just a calm guy in general. I mean, you talk to him in the locker room, you hear him after a game, after a big win, and he doesn't have anything crazy to say, just basically all business. We got things done, and that's how he is on the ice, all business, very calm between the pipes. And it's working out so well for him right now. Such a strong start to the season carrying over from last year. So, Greg, a couple more questions. One, first game back at Barclays Center uh, yesterday for the Islanders. And um, I want to get your kind of you know sense on uh, the vibe going back to Brooklyn last night and, and the crowd and, and obviously the fans trying to make the trek uh, from Long Island for the 13 games that will be in Brooklyn during the regular season. But number two, you guys have quite the different vantage point um, when calling games from Brooklyn. So I wanted to kind of get your comment. This might not be everyone's favorite arena in Islanders country, but I know it's a, a quite unique one for broadcasters. Yeah, it, we're at the top of section nine. So it's about you know, 15 rows off the ice in the middle of the offensive zone where the Islanders shoot twice in the first and third period. So you kind of lose a little bit of perspective when play is all the way down to our right where the Islanders shoot in the second period, but it's pretty cool because it's so unique compared to all the other buildings in the NHL. Coliseum, obviously you're in the press box, which is up top, but it's still lower than pretty much every other building in terms of how far from the ice you are. So both are great because at Barclays, you're in with the crowd. And you go back to 2016, obviously both rounds were played there. Some big moments, a couple of overtime wins. And that was just so much fun because you felt like you were actually a fan. You weren't detached in a press box. At the Coliseum, you're not as detached as you are in some buildings, especially New Jersey. feels like you're in a completely different state how far up you are in the press <laughs> box. So I love both buildings from the broadcasting perspective because they give such different vantage points. The Coliseum is probably the best view in the National Hockey League without a doubt in all the 32 buildings that we go to. Barclays Center. There's nowhere that you're so close to the ice, and you might lose a little bit looking all the way to the right, but there's no better view, at least in the offensive zone, where the Islanders shoot twice. And big moments like last night where you have the uh, two third-period goals just 40 seconds apart, you just feel like you're a fan again because you're right there in the crowd. Of course, the Islanders playing at both Nassau Coliseum and Barclays Center this year, but the plan is that in two seasons they'll be at Belmont. Uh, what does this mean for this franchise, for this organization, for this fan base, as someone that was a fan and now is obviously in the booth for 82 games, that they will have a state-of-the-art arena with all the new amenities, 
uh, to call their own in just a couple of years. I know you've had the opportunity to talk to fans and be around the groundbreaking and some alumni. Uh, just tell us what uh, their their feelings are and what your feelings are about this this move that's about to happen in a couple of seasons. Yeah, I was lucky enough to be at that groundbreaking. And then a week or two after that, it was alumni weekend. And we were lucky enough to interview on the broadcast for alumni. And they had just come from their first real tour of the Belmont site. And they were all so excited and they're not even going to be playing there. This is the a past generation of Islanders players. We got to talk with Dennis Potman, Brian Trottier, Pierre Turgeon, Dave Scatcher joined us in an intermission and every one of them just beamed about how excited they were for Scatcher. he was around not quite during those lighthouse talk days, but still around where there was a lot, of discussion of where the team's going to go. Are they going to be able to renovate the arena, get a new arena? And so everybody from the former players to the current players to, as you know, all the fans, just so excited that we're going to have our, our future home for so many years to come. And it's not too far away, just two seasons from now. Have you asked where the broadcast position will be for the radio? <laughs> I have not personally asked, but I have heard some rumblings that it's not going to be as bad as some of the new buildings. Edmonton, I mentioned Jersey before. Edmonton is one of the newest buildings as well, and that is pretty much as high as Jersey. Uh, Detroit, another new building. They actually built the gondola there, so you're not all the way up in a press box. You kind of overhang a little bit. I don't think we're going to have a gondola in this new building, but uh, that's a front, <laughs> front perspective as well. It's just like Montreal. Well, Greg, really, we really appreciate a few minutes here today to go over this remarkable 10-game winning streak uh, for the New York Islanders Thursday night against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And uh, we'll see how far they can go and get it. 15 is the team record set in 1982. You'll be there with Chris King to call it all. We appreciate it and hope we can talk again soon. Thank you so much, really. Had a good time here. 